Good afternoon. I think this is the first time I've uh, gave a lesson like from up here. Usually it's down there. All right. Uh, if you will, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be. Most of our talk is in Revelation, uh, the first two chapters. Um, when I was five, we moved here from North Carolina, actually to Lexington. Uh, I don't know. Some of you may have known me from way back when. Um, and we were in University Heights for a while, up until about middle school. And then we decided to uh, head east. Uh, we started a congregation out there um, in Slade area, Natural Bridge area. So if you're ever headed towards Natural Bridge and about two miles out, uh, if you look to the right, there's a, a billboard and an RV park. And right across the road where it intersects, uh, that's where the church used to be. It's no longer there. It is somebody's front yard. Um, it's a, just an open field. What happened? Why isn't it there? Got to thinking about that. And what I'm going to talk about is what can kill a church? Can a church die? In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, that's where we're going to start. Revelation chapter 3. And in verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This was a church that was dead. This reveals that churches can die, and they often do. Think about uh, the churches from the New Testament. Are they still there today? Some may be. I don't know. I've never been but I'm pretty sure most of them's not there anymore. So what happened? Where'd they go? At some point, they died. There are at least two ways a church can die. One, it may cease to exist. Just shutter the doors and stop being. Another way, they die inwardly. They still function as a church, but they're not doing what's spiritually right. So what can kill a church? We are, are we aware of the different types of weapons that Satan uses? Because there are different tactics and weapons that he uses against the church every single day. And there are things that threaten our very existence, even now. I know for a fact this church has been here a while, right? Richard tells us he's been one of the few ones that's been here a long time. Charles and them has been here a while, right? Will it be here 40 years from now? A hundred years from now? Or will it cease to exist? What can kill a church? We're going to exa examine a couple things. Uh, this is a long lesson, but I talk very fast sometimes, so it'll be short. Um, there are four things that, uh, that I think that can kill a church. One is obvious persecution. Persecution, physically and spiritually persecuted that can kill a church. Satan has often resorted in Revelation chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. 
Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you where? Into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Persecution can happen. It happened to the church at Smyrna. Indeed, it did so in many of the first century churches. They were persecuted for what they believed. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, starting verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the face, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Churches in the first century suffered persecution. Should we be surprised if we suffered it today? I don't think so. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things, thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when, he, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. Is it possible that we can be persecuted for what we believe today? I think so. Hopefully it'll never get to that point. I mean, we have freedom that other countries do not enjoy, right? But if it got to that point, where we were persecuted, where some people came in and started beating us, throwing us in prison for what we believe, would this church still exist? Some people respond to persecution differently. Some people are silenced by it, right? Some people, they don't want any part of it. Let me just lay low. I'll be quiet. Others, like Paul and Peter, they rejoice in it, didn't they? After they were beaten and reprimanded. Didn't they go on their way joyous? Paul said he counted it joy to suffer persecution, didn't he? How would we react? The way we would react a lot of times will determine the future of a church. A church that is silenced by persecution often dies. Whereas a church that rejoices in persecution will not go unnoticed. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Revelation, the Lord took note of the churches in Pergamos and Philadelphia. He said he takes, took note of their works. God is looking at us, taking notes of what we do. How will we act when we're persecuted? Persecution is not the only weapon that Satan uses. When a congregation resists persecution, he will often seek to kill it through other means. One way is through the inside, through the false teaching that can occur. Satan has used this tactic to threaten many churches. 
It threatened the church of, of Ephesus in Romans chapter 2. I mean, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, uh, and in verse 2, it says, I know your works, then your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Skip down to verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It has threatened the church at Pergamos while handing their persecution faithfully. They were floundering, floundering with error in their midst. They had sin in the midst of them. Both Paul and Peter warned of the dangers of this error, of having sin in your midst. Do we have sin in our midst? Are we able to stand up against that sin and say, we're not going to allow it to permeate this congregation? Two things are necessary in guarding against error, and I think it's very important for us to hear today that we must not turn away from sound doctrine, not just doctrine, sound doctrine, the right doctrine. So many times we think we have the answers, and usually it's not right. But we think we're right. Is it sound? Can you find it in the Bible? Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Sound doctrine involves preaching the word, but it includes also positive preaching, also, negative preaching. Sometimes we don't like to step on people's toes, right? We don't want to go against the grain. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. But that's the very thing that we're told to do in the Bible. We must be aware, beware of, of popular preaching, of things feel-good preaching, right? So many day, churches today is all about entertainment. Right? It's what I can give to you to make you like it better. I'm not concerned whether it makes you feel good. I'm concerned whether it's right. And we have to get back to that. We have to get back to where it's sound doctrine, not does it sound good. We must support, not support those who teach Contrary to the doctrine of Christ, we're told even if an angel brings you something other than I've preached, what were you supposed to do? Kick him out to the curb. Don't listen to it. Don't have any part of it. When a church stands strong against persecution and false doctrine, that is certainly a good sign. But that does not mean Satan's done. Okay? Many sound churches have been destroyed by one or two other tools in his bag. The first thing that you think of is worldliness, right? Are we letting worldliness into this church? What am I talking about? 
What about immorality? Immorality is the lust of the flesh, right? We're supposed to be concerned about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Materialism involves the lust of the eyes. Both are in, included in the love of the world. 1 John chapter 2. Do we as a church love the world more than we love what's written in the Bible? Satan uses worldliness to destroy churches. And unfortunately, I've seen it. I've been a part of more splits than probably I should have been. It happens. The church of Thyatira was threatened by the influence of Jezebel. Immorality has made havoc since day one. Since day one. If it can happen back then, it will happen to us today. Materialism has drawn many Christians away from their service to the Lord. Churches are hindered when their members are rendered fruitless by worldliness. In Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with what? What are they choked with? Cares, riches, pleasures of life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. They're concerned with worldliness. So how do we ward off worldliness? How do we get rid of being concerned of what the outside world thinks of us? Well, one way is we need to have the love of the Father. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, we have to have the love of the Father, otherwise we cannot call ourselves Christians. We also, in uh, Romans chapter 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As Christians, are we supposed to fit in? We're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to let our light shine. We are supposed to stand out. Too many times we want to fit into the world. And it's hard to do. Because that sometimes can lead to persecution. We must also watch and pray. A church that is sound on certain issues can still be dead. And a dying church if worldliness is allowed to infect its members. Do we have worldliness in this church? I hope the answer is no. But you have to take a look at the inside. When you come to services, are you thinking about what's for lunch? Are you thinking about, man, there's a Super Bowl on? Where are your priorities? Because just like in the Bible class that I was teaching... Where your treasure's laid up, there your heart's going to be. And then the last thing that I'm going to talk about that's used to destroy the church, and it, it happens so often because we are creatures of habit, especially people who, who have been members or Christians for a long, long time. Sometimes we just get into hab habitual routines and we become indifferent. What do I mean? It's a subtle and yet effective weapon used by Satan. It jeopardizes the standing of the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. Hopefully you're still there. Revelation 2 and verse 4. Nevertheless, this I have against you, 
that you have left your first love. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. How? It characterized making it almost repulsive to Christ, that leaving of the first love. We do not have to oppose the church to kill it. Just be slothful and indifferent. So what do I mean by indifferent? What are some signs of indifference? Well, one, what about irregular attendance of church? And I know there's extenuating circumstances. Some people have to work. Some people travel. But I'm talking about just the, hey, I just want to kick back tonight. Is that being indifferent? What about the lack of participation in worship? I'll let somebody else do it. I'm tired. Didn't get so much sleep. Somebody else will fill in. I'm not that good of a speaker. I'll let somebody else do it. Is that being indifferent? Consistently arriving late to church. If I'm stepping on toes, I'm sorry. But if you're always late to church, some people will come in 20 minutes late to church, but they'll never be late to like a business meeting or work. Are you indifferent? Waning efforts to win souls to Christ. It's not my job to teach others, is it? Yeah, it is. It's everybody's job to teach others. And then what about no personal or private devotions? When's the last time you actually prayed by yourself? I'm guilty of it too. When's the last time you actually took out, other than Sundays, took out your Bible and read it? Do we do that? Don't be indifferent. Fervent service is the only antidote. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, We must not grow weary in doing good. Hebrews chapter 6, We must be diligent and not become sluggish. Hebrews chapter 10, Hold fast the hope we confess by encouraging one another. Do we encourage one another? Do you like being here on Sundays? Or are you back there sleeping? Don't be indifferent. While there are certainly more ways to kill a church, these are just four right off the top. Persecution, false teaching, worldliness, and indifference. So what about this congregation? Is Satan making any progress? I hope not. We might be free from physical persecution. Hopefully nobody's going to come in through that door and drag us out, kicking and screaming, throw us in jail. But are we known as a sound church? If you went to other congregations and say, hey, tell me about Lake Street Church of Christ, what are they going to say? They're going to say they're good people, they're teaching, doing what's right? Are they teaching sound doctrine? To be forewarned is to be forearmed. We need to be honest with ourselves. Are we vulnerable in any areas? Don't let Satan succeed in deceiving us. Because wherever we're weak at, he's going to try to exploit. As Paul wrote, and I'm going to leave you with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's think about the devices that he uses to kill churches, and hopefully it won't happen here. That's the lesson for this evening. If there's any here that needs to come forward and make things right, 
make some sins, clear some things up in their lives, let's do so as we stand and sing the song of invitation.